Welcome to the dark forest Jackie and her pals will never bore us Shameless confessions about our obsessions Will make us laugh and smile So let's explore the dark forest And dork down for a while Hello and welcome to the dork forest It's me, Jackie Cation You know the websites, JackieCation.com, DorkForest.com, TheDorkForest.com If you like a determiner You can donate to the show using PayPal or Venmo. You go to the websites, you find out where I'm doing stand-up comedy. Rangers of the Dork Forest, I love you dearly, and thank you so much. Feel free to go to Apple, rate and review the show. Five stars would be great. Let's do the credits. Mike Rickberg sang and wrote that song that you just heard, and he will be singing at the end, the Mexican hat dance. Uh, Patrick Brady is going to fix this audio and video, and we thank all the stars for that. Let's get into the show. Jackie Cation, that's me. Rangers of the Dork Forest, you are welcome. I am here with New York comic Lindsay Glazer. Lindsay Glazer, you should know, has an album out that came out about a month ago or so, and it's called Thanks, Dad, and it's on all the things. And if you go to lindsayglazer.com, you will know too much about her. Like, she's going to be in San Francisco this week. Her ongoing dates are happening. Lindsay is spelled L-I-N-D-S-A-Y. Glazer is spelled G-L-A-Z-E-R. It's at Lindsay Glazer on Instagram, but at Lindsay Glazer everywhere else and lindsayglazer.com. And the, and the album's called Thanks, Dad. And so uh, I have this to say. Welcome to the show, Lindsay. Thank you so much for having me. Now it's your turn. Oh, okay. <laughs> I know. I'm like, let's get well, all the business out of the way. Let's get it okay, out. Okay, my yeah. turn. I live in Las Vegas and Florida. I am in New York once a month. And it's Lindsay Glazer Comedy on Instagram. Oh. Did I, what did I say? Said New York comic, which I am flattered. Oh, I did say New York Yes. But I mean, technically, Kira Sultanovich used to tease me that my leather jacket was from Greenwich and I might as well be a New York comic. My whole family was from Manhattan, but lived in the Midwest. Like my heart is in New York. My great aunt was on Broadway. Yeah. My great grandfather produced Tobacco Road. I love New York. (laughs) Do you heart New York? I do heart New York. I I had the t-shirt. There you go. Excellent. And uh, do you play Vegas a lot? Do you get I do to work play Vegas. Town? I do play Vegas. Okay. I recorded my album at Wise Guys Las Vegas. I um, I headlined Jimmy Kimmel's at the end of nice. June. Um, uh, okay. Trying to think what yes. else I did because you're I there. Know. Yeah, I'm there. Yeah. Okay, I love it. Okay, so here's uh, let's talk about Lindsay Glazer's uh, Dorkdom, which is a show that I've seen the first season of. Ted Lasso. Oh, my God. I love Ted Lasso. I've only seen so the much. first season. It's on Apple, right? So it's that's why I don't have it. It's, I think, the only one I do, the streaming-wise, it's the one I don't have. Really? Oh, see? And it's the hardest one to share your password for. Oh, is it? Because you yeah. have to use your Apple account. Because everyone already has an Apple account. You have to use so your you Apple account, really and then they send you 17 different codes. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, when I commit to it, because I will, because I'm also, I did a, a a small, I did one episode of an animated show that's on Apple, and I and I like the show so much that I do want to see it, even if I'm not on anything more than just one episode. It's called Strange Planet, whatever. Can't but, wait. Uh, so Ted Lasso, a football coach from America, goes to England. Correct. Yes, he and he becomes a soccer coach there, and it basically it's that's produced right. by. It's produced by Brett Goldstein, a fellow comedian who also plays Roy Kent, okay. 
on the show. I believe Brett Goldstein is from England. And okay. uh, who is Roy Kent on the show? Roy Kent is a basically a star soccer player, a former retired. Um, in the first season, he's like a star soccer player who eventually retires and becomes a coach. And they basically like follow him from like becoming this embittered old man to like him growing into like an evolved version of himself. One of the things I love about Ted Lasso is they take male friendships and stereotypical male sort of themes that you see in other shows. They grow into like more crotchety or worse versions of themselves and they actually evolve into what is like healthy versions of themselves. There's a, this is in the third season. We're starting kind of backwards, but Roy Ken and this guy, Jamie, Jamie, another soccer player, have this like rivalry. They hate each other at the beginning. And as they go through the shows, they're showing their friendship and how it evolves and how they both became to be that way. And how they're, it's one of the best story. It's a C, it's really the C storyline, but it's one of the best C storylines I've seen. And it involves like male friendship, like growing and like a really like, they do a great job of really showcasing healthy male friendships. There's also, see, I'm going to, I don't want to do spoilers, Jackie. Am I going to spoil stuff for you? Well, and so, so, well, here's a real clock eater because what you've done is you've, you've made me want to watch the second season because in the first season, uh, Ted Lasso is kind of a, he seems kind of a, a space case. Yeah. Uh, but very, very positive, very uh, happy-go-lucky guy. But there's some sort of trauma. His wife is, is essentially, you can tell that she's like, no, don't come back. But uh, the, uh, um, but so there's him. There's, is Roy Kent the grumpy star yes. of the football yes. team? yes. Okay, so like, that's Roy, Roy Kent, Kent, and he's a yeah. comic? Yeah, that is Brett Goldstein, okay. who is a comic. So, uh, okay, and so, and he is, he's essentially the old guy who's always in, like, the whirlpool because he's all sore. Yeah, he's a curmudgeon. And then there's, like, a young, yeah, and then there's a hot, young hotshot. That's Jamie. Who uh, eventually, that's, oh, that's Jamie, who, okay, who uh, is just looking to make money. And doesn't know that he's at the beginning of his career and it's all going to, it's going to be what it's going to be. And you can't, you know, you shouldn't be a jerk kind of thing. Even though the Roy Kent guy seems to be kind of a jerk. But I, I kind of like him. So there's those two guys. There's, uh, how many people are, like, it's an ensemble cast for real, right? It, it really is an ensemble cast. Ted Lasso's clearly the star, but they get a lot of screen time. I mean, it's not an ensemble cast like the way... Office is, you know, built as like an ensemble right. cast or uh, um, community, but they're act- it really feels like an ensemble cast. They've got Rebecca, yeah. Rebecca, who's the divorce uh, divorcee of the guy who used to own the football club. She bought it. They've got um, uh, I'm gonna escape her name. Her name is um, um, real name. Oh, I can't remember. She's a British the, model. Is she okay? And is she uh, essentially Roy Kent's? Girlfriend, girlfriend. Or like yeah. A- in the first season, she's Roy okay. Kent's girlfriend, and she starts like bringing bringing him out of his his shell. There is um, there's Coach Beard, Coach Beard, who's like Ted Lasso's like friend. You find out so much stuff in the third se- like it really does a really great job of evolving the arc and like um, you know keeping you invested in the stakes. Like getting the storytelling. Higher. Yeah, it's not just like hey, here we are in season two, and the soccer team is not in this league, and now we're in this league. Um, like all the, they did a great job of like humanizing everyone in the story. Like Rebecca, who's like the ex-wife okay. of the guy who used to own the football club. She's replaced 
by a younger girl also named Rebecca. And they show the whole press thing about old Rebecca and new Rebecca and how that affected her. And, like, they show, like, her, like, coming right. on her own and how she dealt with that. And then they show her mentoring, mentoring, um, God, it's going to make me crazy. I got to look up her name, who, who, uh, who is Young Roy Rebecca? Kent's girlfriend. No, oh, Roy Kent's the, um, girlfriend. So. Girlfriend. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Keely the, Jones so is they, her name uh, in the show, and she's played by Juno Temple. Okay. Keely Jones. And, uh, so, she, so the. So what you like is that is so is it a comedy? Yes and no. I remember laughing. Yes and no. It is a okay. comedy. Is it a dramedy? Is it one mm-hmm. hour? Is it a half hour? It, this is my question. It's it's probably dramedy. I think it is one hour. It, like it's like it's not black comedy the way like Afterlife was black comedy like that dark. It's comedy, but it's got like black things in it. Like in the like you know right that Ted Lasso has a panic attack right in the first season. Are you that far along? Uh, I, I don't remember him having the panic attack, but I wouldn't be surprised if he did. It's a weird thing to do. He doesn't even know the game, right? Right. He doesn't know the when game. He, and it's like how he comes. She hires him initially because Rebecca, the, the divorcee of the guy, hires him initially because she's trying to fuck the thing that Rupert loves. Can we say that on your podcast? Can we say fuck? Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, well, because remember Major League where yeah. the bad, the, the lady who owned the baseball team, she wanted to tank the, the team. It's basically it like major that, league. But for, she's, yeah. Sorry, I know. But for adults, and she's not the bad guy, right? She's not like a one-dimensional character. Right. So it is like major. It does seem like those first two episodes are like major league for soccer. But they're not one-dimensional. Yeah. And instead of it just being like a, a one thing, like she like basically learns to like, she like, like tells Ted. She ends up like confessing to Ted. You know, I was like trying to fire you and screw you up. Like they confess it at the end. And then they make this whole thing every year. They confess something to each other at the same time. She, like, Ted is so, like, nice and such a good person that he ends up, like, ingratiating himself to her. And she's like, well, she hates him at the beginning. She throws him to the press. And he knows what she's doing. He just doesn't care because he's, like, depressed and, like, et cetera. And eventually it's just, like, (laughs) nice. You know, like, kill him with kindness. He's the epitome of killing with kindness. And they do such a good job of it that normally I'd be like, who is this weak-ass mother? You know? And, yeah. but he wasn't yeah, yeah. like that. It was like, it was almost like they showed like niceness as being a strength. It's kind of funny. I love Ted Lasso because I'm not the nicest person off stage. It's not on, pers- on purpose. I try and be nice. With autism, people okay. think I have my headphones in, <laughs> that I'm a bitch, you know, all sorts of things. But do you know who Nat Baymel is? Do you know who Nat Baymel is? Uh, no. It's a comic. He's in L.A. When I told I him how not. much I lo- yeah. love Ted Lasso, okay. he watched it. He's like, I don't get it. People are just being nice to each other. And I've noticed that if you're a nice person in general, like if you're always a nice person, then you watch Ted Lasso, you're just like, okay, this is just a show about people being nice to each other. But if you struggle with any of your relationships, okay. like trying to be nice to people or, or you know, coming off incorrectly because people misunderstand you, it's such a great show for that, then they love Ted Lasso. If you're just a normal, nice guy, everyone's like, What's the show about? Just people being nice. <laughs> right. This is something that, that I, uh, I think that's exactly what Andy's reaction to it was, is that it wasn't, he was like, why are these people interesting? They're just sort of decent or just sort of scared or just sort of living their lives. And I was like, well, then it's a more interesting slice of life than any sort of soap opera that I've ever seen because it seems slightly more realistic, Right. 
I mean, not not realistic in the way that like like I don't know that any it, any football team that was trying to make money would hire someone who didn't know the game. But um, you she know, wasn't I mean, trying that's to make the money. conceit is that she hires him. Right. She was trying to she was trying to tank it and she had that power, right? She owned the club. She got what into a, the divorce. Is her husband? Is her husband still in the show? Yeah, her ex-husband Rupert's still in the show. He's probably the biggest villain, and even he grows. Like, like um, there's just such a good. That's neat. Yeah, like there's such a thing in the beginning where she's just trying to screw him. He's trying to screw her, and like you see them also eventually like mature and figure out stuff, and you know they become like friendly, friendly, and you just you do such a good job of showing how. No one's ever really the villain and no one's ever really the hero. Everyone is everything at all times. Times. It's just like, what situation are they in? Who? And they do such a good job of examining mental health as a reality day. Like he has a, he has a, um, the panic attack. And then this happens in the first season. And then one of the people betrays him and tells the press, press and it comes out in the press. And it's like, and then he talk, he talks to the team about, you know, I should have come to you guys first. And I have this mental health. They made it okay for, like, everyone. We're in comedy, so everyone has mental health stuff. But, like, right. they made it okay for, like, these star athletes. They're supposed to keep all their feelings inside and be, you know, show. Be like, oh, no, it's okay. We're all yeah. human. And then he led the team that way. And then, I mean, it's kind of a commentary, too, on how, like, leading with empathy is more effective than, like, leading, like, with, um I forget what it's called. What's it called when you... They taught this in parenting too. When you aren't empathetic, just no. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah I don't. Uh, I don't know, but all, all I know is I I know what you mean. That's sort of right. because when you think about the all, all the football games that you, uh, all the all the sports shows that I've ever seen or all the sports movies I've ever seen, they're usually you know there's like one scene where the dudes break down and show that they're human, and then they wrestle or they punch each other on the shoulder. <laughs> And it's kind of over, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's but, all testosterone fueled except for this one moment where they bond. Okay, enough of that. Yes. And then now let's go beat the, now let's go win the game, right? It's, yeah. it's usually what the thing is. And what I remember about that first season <clears throat> is that it doesn't seem to be about winning the game. It seems about playing the game and interacting as a team and sort of that whole thing. You know, there's, I mean, were you in team sports when you were a kid? Did you ever do sports? Yes, I did soccer, but mostly swimming and tennis, which are sort of individualized team sports. So it's different. Right. Yeah, it is different because you're in your own lane in no. in, uh, in swimming. Except what did like you do swimming wise? I um, right. freestyle and backstroke. And, um, and then I did like doubles for tennis. But it, it's kind of a different thing. I did soccer when I was like younger, not in, in, maybe like one season in high school and one season in field hockey. I went to boarding school, so it wasn't like like big into sport. Okay. But that's what's interesting about it. He realized right. that you don't start out by trying to win the game. You start out by building the foundation. And they, he built the foundation not only in the sport, but of all these people like learning to come together. There's a lot of like Ted Lasso telling Roy Kent to take his ego out of the room because it's hurting everyone. And like... You don't see all that in the first season, but as it goes on, it, it's yeah. such a good, you know, Coach Beard is like Ted Lasso's like advisor, and I do not want to spoil okay. this for you, but in the third season, you yeah. find out this whole thing about what Ted did for Coach Beard and second chances. It, it's a very... Okay. So, like if oh, we all treated their, each other... Yeah, their the way back history? 
Yeah. yeah. Like, if we all treat each other the way Ted Lasso was treating people, it, it'd be much better. Like, you wish that happened in comedy, but that's not happening in comedy. You know how it is. <laughs> right. I don't think it's happening in sports either. Uh, so it's, uh, but I do like the idea. I don't know. My brother, Russ, is a, he teaches uh, like middle school uh, football. Because when his sons were in middle school, he started coaching and he literally fell in love with coaching. I remember 10 years ago, it must've been 10, 15 years ago when he started doing it. He was like, this is what I would have done for a living if I would have known that this was a thing. Yeah. And he's a hard, he's a, he's both a hard, he's, he's a caricature of like Hoosiers, right? Like, (laughs) uh, of more the movie type of, I went to Indiana, right? Like a, Yes. And, uh, what's the, uh, um, it wasn't Dabney Coleman. It was the rich man's Dabney Coleman who played Gene Hackman. Okay. Yeah. So Gene Hackman in Hoosiers. So my brother is more like Gene Hackman in the way that he's just, he's sort of like, you got to run burpees. You got to do these things. And Russ is, you know, 62 years old and he runs the, he runs them with them. And he'll, and he, if he's like, if I beat any of you, we're doing it again. <laughs> and so he's kind of a hard ass like that, but he's also like, he teaches, he teaches sort of a team. Like I was never on team sports when I was a kid. Closest I came marching band. <laughs> uh, so, and, but marching band wasn't super teamy, you know, right. it was, it was more, uh, it was a group and we all did have to play together and we all, and there was a sense of community there that I was not, I didn't feel a part of just because I was, I had not great social skills and I didn't know how to fake it. Welcome so to my world. I'm still working really on good it. at faking it now. How are you? Did you take any classes? Are, right. Um, how did I learn to fake it? It was, uh, I think, I think I just, uh, I know that I was, I knew that I was supposed to talk. I remember when I used to drink and I would meet new people, I would always say, I would tell them where I was from and I would ask them where they were from. I would ask them what they were reading and then they would tell me what they were reading. Hey. And then I would say. Go on. uh, Then I would say, I'm done. with the. Those are the only two conversational gambits I know. Now, you have a choice. You could either pick two new conversational gambits or I can do material at you. You got kids? No, I, I'm staying in my friend's house in New York City. And I told her I had like a podcast oh. at, at five. And then people just like came in and started talking. And I'm like, I told you. But um, so you have two bits. You, you say, guys, like, where are you from? I can't hear them. No. You said, um, where are you from? Yeah. Where are you from? And then you just do bits. That's what you said, right? Yeah. And, and if you're reading anything. So do you so have you just, any opening conversational gambits? Like, where are you from? Hi, how are you? I just try, what I try and do is I ask them questions. My dad taught me, you ask them questions. And if they have kids, you ask them questions about their kids. People love to talk about their kids and show you pictures. And so I do that. And I have a kid. So I say, like, I have a kid, you know, like, then I would do that. I ask them where they're from. Right. I try and ask. I learned this in a, in a writing workshop. 
a long time ago. Her name's Natalie Goldberg. I did her like her. Do you know who that is? She's like a, a she wrote nope. writing down to the bones. Maybe. And she taught me okay. that when you go to an author reading, you know, everyone's always asking about the books and the characters, but no one ever asks them about the dedication page. And so you ask them, who'd you dedicate this book to and why? And so I try and like think of something like that. Like if you were going to have a special, who would you dedicate it to and like why? But it often comes off awkward and weird and people think I'm weird or bitchy or some version of I'm hitting <laughs> on them. Like I get so many, I get so many things coming back to me. So many things coming back to me that, um, so many things coming back to me that like I can't like, um, like I couldn't even predict. Like I get so many things where someone's like, "Hey, this booker said that you were rude to this person." And I'm like, "What are you talking about?" And then they like explain something to me, and I'm like, "I was like, I remember." Um, I'm trying to think. Like one time, I was with this comic Dean Napolitano in, in Vasani's, who's my friend, and I was in the green room. Okay. Freaking out because it was a long time ago and I was just hosting and I was nervous. Vasani's is still sure. to this day the hardest club I've ever worked. It's still hard. It's a cleanish okay. club with older people, like um, a long table. Where is serving. it? It's in, in um, Port St. Lucie, Florida. It's just a an it's just okay. a weird animal of a club. Like when Steve Burns there, they send out like flyers saying Steve is here. It's not a clean show this week, but normally they have okay. a lot of clean shows. It's an older audience. They're serving food. It's kind of like it came out of the Catskills, and um, right, right. So it's I, you're doing dinner theater. Weird. Yeah, yeah. It is basically like you're doing dinner theater. And so, I remember I was sitting in the corner, listening to my headphones because I have autism, and I listen to like whatever song on repeat that I'm listening to that week, it helps me focus and doing that and just writing. And someone like, I guess like came to talk to me. And this is the weird part. I didn't even know anyone talked to me or said hello or anything. My headphones were in. And later I heard from Dean, who's my friend, that they're like, yeah, Lindsay's like kind of a bitch. She was like rude to me. She was like, and Dean's like, no, Lindsay has autism. She's really not. Like Dean's just defending my honor all over Florida telling, you know, Telling people right, right. I awkwardly interacted with. Like, he told me the other day, he's like, you're just misunderstood, and people don't want to understand you because it's easier for people to think you're a bitch. And I'm like, all right, well, I don't know what I'm supposed to do about that. <laughs> yeah, you're not supposed to, that's not you. That's, uh, but I will say this, have you learned anything from Ted Lasso about interacting with people? Yes, I have, actually. Like, I think I used to, have like, you? yeah, I, I think I used to assume that every, like, I read everything, right? So people read my tone and think I'm coming off as bitchy because there's all these articles about how you shouldn't read autism people's tone because our tone is going to stay monotone in a lot of ways. But I used to think, like, if you talk to me, we're in a green room, I read every little, I don't know, eyebrow twitch of yours as some sort of commentary. And I'm like, oh, she's upset. Oh, she seems sad. And think of that's about me, which is, like, so egotistically centered. Like, it could have been anything. You had traffic. You were late. You got in a fight with your son, your husband. And take it personally. And then my whole body would, like, react that way. And I just had to, like, kind of, like, um, right. I noticed nothing seemed to shake Ted Ted except, like, his panic attacks. Like, someone, like, yelled at him. He just responded, okay. like, they, you know, that wasn't about him. Like, that's how he, like, like um, Rebecca, um, Roy Kent was being a dick. He was, like, he, he was so good at seeing that it was about, like, their childhood, their spirit. I was a lawyer before I was a comic. And... Everyone who okay. comes to that jury table comes with their own experiences. If I try and remember that before I walk in mm-hmm. a green room, that helps. But also, I'll tell you something else I do. I used to show up an hour early 
because it was professional and check-in. And then I realized that is more time for people to misinterpret me. So now I show up a half hour <laughs> early. I go in, I check yes. in. I check I, in. You know, I was... Yep. Good. And then you weed off. Uh, what Kilmartin does is she spends the whole time looking at her notebook. Uh, Maria Bamford on headphones the whole time. That's what um, I do. Brian Regan, will, he will not talk to you during before you get to the show like he'll he'll give you essentially 45 minutes to an hour before the show but like we're in the same hotel and he's like no i just i usually sleep until the last minute and i'm like that seems unlikely but you're probably watching bones <laughs> and uh because you know how bones is always on yeah and uh so <laughs> but the uh um i like the idea that ted lasso knows that it's not about him because that was something that i had to learn when people look like felt like they were mad at me or they didn't like me or something, they mostly weren't thinking about me. My yeah. ego is so enormous <laughs> that I'm pretty sure they're thinking about me and probably don't like me. And it turns out they're not thinking about me at all. That's all comics. It's my mom's a like therapist. She's telling me that too. Me. It's a, it can't be, it can't all be about you. It just can't. And, um, which does help in the way that, right. And I, I've also come to the belief that with people, the best I can expect from it, this used to be, and I, I was about to say with famous people, but I think I should just expect it from everyone is just sort of a distant politeness. Like if everybody is just distantly polite, well, it's nice to meet you. I'm going to go do my thing over here. Go stare. You know, what? my my mom-in-law has a dog, and the dog literally will stare at the, he'll face the wall. And his eyes are open. He's just facing the wall, thinking doggy thoughts, I assume, or nothing at all. And I'm like, Tyson, what are you doing? Is there anything happening? No, there isn't. Anyway, so we got Roy. We got Rebecca. We have Rebecca's evil ex-husband. Rupert. We have, do we ever get to meet Ted Lasso's ex-wife or yes, wife? we do. In the second season, she comes over to okay. England with their kid and they talk and um, it like, and he basically is like, I love you so much. I'm not going to make you stay with me, which is a very uh. mature sort of thing. Like you clearly are falling out of love and you're not into working out. He's like, you know, I, it hurts, but I want you to be happy. And that's the other thing. Like, it's like unconditional selfless love is wanting the person to be happy, whether it's with you or not. You know, so it's kind of like, you know, right. what I feel about my daughter. I want her to be happy, whether it's, you know, in her career. Whether I mean, she's only 10. It's weird. I'm thinking about her career. <laughs> but I right. want her to but do what she her wants. Life, but the, you know, that's so huge. I was just reading this thing. And when I say I was reading, it's about Buddhism. But it wasn't in a book about Buddhism. It was in a mystery novel set in rural Canada, written by a woman named Louise Penny. Uh, she writes about some uh, Quebecois uh, inspector cop dude who goes out to this very much like a Brigadoon-like tiny village outside of Quebec, and there's uh, a bunch of murders. So he's the murder fixer. And one of the people who lives in this tiny town is a psychologist. And she comes up with this. I underlined it in a mystery novel. I do that. I get, sometimes I get, I get more, like I, 
I would say this without any irony at all is that I think fiction raised me, right? I learned the difference between right and wrong on in fiction. I learned how to be sort of uh, brave and strong and adventurous through fiction. And some people did it with movies. I did it some with movies and TV, but mostly with books. And so this Louise Penny book, uh, it's a inspector, whatever. I think it's the third book. The bookstore owner is talking about when she was a psychologist and she said the difference, there are three things that, that people do that they do one thing and it looks like the other thing and they look exactly the same, but one is kind of a twisted version of the other. Like the, the key exam, the, the easiest one to describe is pity and compassion. Like when someone is being compassionate and understanding, you're hearing the person and going, well, that I'm so sorry that happened to you. That's, um, what a drag. What are you going to do? You know, you sort of talk it out or however you do pity is a, it's, it comes from a place of judgment and superiority. And so when you pity somebody, you can, you're sort of judging them and, and feeling superior. Well, if you're compassionate, you're sort of on the same level. The difference you know, between whether or not sympathy and empathy. Possibly. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Is that like, what it, so, but the, but. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh no, I was going to say, go ahead. It was the one you did with your daughter is what I'm saying is the difference between, um, love and attachment. Ah. And these are like Buddhist ideals, I guess. But, and if you love someone, you want the best for them. You want them to figure out how to live their own lives and how to, you know, uh, go forth into the world and be prepared for different situations. And if you're attached to them, the, the example in the book was when you're, uh, when your kid moves to a new town and then you move to that town. Oh you know, yeah. It's like if you went to college. Yeah. Was that like person you went a Jewish college, mom? Was that person like a Jewish Rodney mom in the book? <laughs> oh my God. Or be, Irish. You, you will <laughs> or be French. I think they were French. I would like you to know this just because you said that when I was in college, I had a, a tumor in my hand that they weren't sure if it was cancerous or not. It was in my right hand. I was going to miss out a whole year of school. My dad came back to school with me, all at, back to school. I wrote with my left hand. He took notes in my 300-person economics class in Indiana and would not stop raising his hand. Now, you say Jewish moms are, like, protected. That was my Jewish dad. And it was at the time okay. where, you know, we just had dial-up. And he'd be on my computer okay dialing into stocks. And everyone's like, why can't we get you on the phone? It's a pretty good right. dad though. Okay. Well, that's a good dad. If he's, I mean, that seems, that seems supportive. And I think that, and you ended up appreciating that. Yeah. As opposed to him taking over your life and going, let me work your arms like a puppeteer. Yeah. I appreciate him taking notes, would, not yeah. raising his hands. <laughs> Right. I knew a lot of people in college who, uh, this is back in the 12th century when I went to college, uh, they had little recorders. It was like when I first started doing stand-up comedy, they, uh, uh, I bought a little recorder to record my sets. And then I, and then later it was a mini disc recorder and then the quality was better. And there was a lot of speculation that you could burn on and you could make an album from them, those mini discs. I still have those mini discs where- Do you? Uh, nobody wants to hear stand-up comedy from 1989. I do. Uh, from I think it's one. like or, so good. By the way, 
your like stand up comedy, especially about like the, the guy in the shopping cart, was like one of the things that made me laugh so hard. I cried and like related to so much. And that was before I like had any clue. Oh, the who old you guy were. that I that yes. I pushed. Yes, and I was like, oh, oh my god. god, this is a woman after my own heart. I have worked so hard. I work a lot of DBT skills. Like I'm very rare. I don't think I've ever told anyone this on a podcast. I'm pretty sure my parents were both borderline, at least my dad. So I did a lot What's of DBT, DBT skills. It's dialectical behavior therapy. It's like basically working on okay. like your anger, like when stuff like that happens. But I had so many like stories. Like when you told me that, I'm like, okay, it's not just me. It's not just me. Like I haven't had just had that experience or like whatever. And like I right. always. It's nice to know so you're good. not alone. Yeah. Yeah. And like it was so like. I don't, I don't even think I was a comic yet when I heard that. And I was like, that is hilarious. I love that. So good. How long have you been doing stand-up? Lindsay Glazer. But wait a minute. Let's uh, let's take a quick break here and see if commercial. there's, uh, you know, a commercial. Was there a commercial? If there was, I recommend you buy whatever I was talking about. Uh, Lindsay, let me, I'm talking, by the way, with Lindsay Glazer, who has an album out called Thanks, Dad. And it is on iTunes and probably everywhere else. Uh, it's streaming and stuff like that. It's at Lindsay Glazer Comedy on Instagram. And lindsayglazer.com is her website. You can get all of her dates. She's in San Francisco this week doing the doing that uh, comedy contest. And um, yeah, and it's at Lindsay Glazer on the other the other things, right? Just like yes. Twitter and, and what's left of that. And okay. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so you were talking about your shopping cart. Mental thing. health, I think. And mental health. Oh, the shopping cart. Well, no, I, oh, I know what I wanted to ask you. Thank you. Uh, is how long you've been doing stand-up? According to my sister, since I was 10 at the dinner table. But it's really hard to measure because I took two, I measure, so you can hear my Midwestern accent. I took two years <laughs> off. In, I took two years off fully in COVID. I did no comedy except maybe two Zoom shows. My kid was in Zoom school. I mean, I not only did no comedy, I gained like 40 pounds and like sat in my bed for two years. I was like depressed and everything. So it's like hard to measure. I think this is like the beginning of, I don't know, six year. I, I don't know. I honestly don't know. Like, I, I don't even remember okay, what year five, I started. Five or six years. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you, you should know I come from the generation of comics where we just sort of eyeball it. There are comics now who are like, this is my stand-up comedy anniversary. I did open mic this day in 1990. What, uh, no, it's never that because uh, people who started in the 1990s are like, I don't know, I've been doing it about 35 years. Yeah. Anyway, but uh, so I, I started in 84, but I count the 80s often as just one year because I did it uh, eight months in a row every night. And I got a one point eight that semester, and then the uh, and then the the club burned down, and then I just <laughs> did, did open mics like two or two or three. I did, did not, I did not, and but th thank God it was insured. Right, and, where were you? Uh, I'm, what club was that? Uh, Madison, Madison, Wisconsin. It was called the Comedy <laughs> Cellar, and was that where uh, it was owned Dunbar by Sam too? Sam Kennison's brother, no. Bill Kennison, owned it. Oh, no, I don't know you who know Kathleen Dunbar is. I know her name. She's from Milwaukee, oh. um, but she lives in Vegas now. But you know, I'm, I'm from probably Peoria, Illinois. Then. I'm sure. I did not know that. Home yeah. of that Richard guy. Pryor and Sam Kinison. That guy. Who's, and Sam Kinison. That's true. It's, uh, yeah, I. Uh, Although Sam started yeah, I, in Houston, lived in Washington, you know. 
Right. Like Mitch Hedberg is from St. Paul, Minnesota, but he started in, I think, Florida and he went to Washington. So uh, a lot of people can claim Hedberg. So a lot of people claim Kennison. Um, only Peoria claims Richard Pryor, That's who right. I had not seen any of his stuff until probably 2005. Really? I never had heard any of his. Yeah. Turns out Richard Pryor, really good at stand up comedy. <laughs> He's just, you yeah. know, he- going to take a stand. Did you ever read Prior yeah. Convictions? Yeah. Mm-mm. Is that was, his autobiography or? Yeah, it's basically an autobiography. And what really, DC Benny, who I count as like my comedy dad, or I say comedy grandpa and he yells at me. He's like, shut up, Lindsay. I'm only 53. And I'm like, whatever. Okay. You, were a lot, you were doing comedy in the 80s. And he made me read that when I was asking him about books on writing. And he said, the two best books on writing are Stephen King on writing and Richard Pryor's Prior Conviction. And I already read the Stephen King one. And what struck me about that book was about how he said, no matter how rich he got, no matter how many gated communities he lived in in L.A., he could not get rid of the memories, like the, the childhood memories from Peoria, Illinois. And I thought that was such a good commentary on comedy and how trauma informs comedy. Have, have you ever heard Ophira Eisenberg's bit about how Everyone always says how resilient children are. Then why are we still talking about it 60 years later? That's funny. I have never heard that bit, but it's true. Yeah, it's such a funny bit. I would say other books about writing. uh, It's not surprising to me that a 53-year-old dude would tell you to read two books written by men. But uh, you might want to try Anne Lamott's Bird by Bird. uh, Because it's amazing. Yeah, so she's, she's a delight. And... And and it's mellow, right? Like it's not, it doesn't, it isn't pejorative. It isn't insistent. It's just like, if you want to write, like some people are like, you, you want to write, then you have to write. If you're not writing, then you're not writing. And you're like, yes, no, I get that. But if you could be slightly more encouraging, <laughs> what Ted Lasso back around. Yes. Good job. Be more, more on helpful. Task. Yeah, like uh, exactly. with Julia Cameron, uh, like the girl on writing, like three pages a day is great. Anne Lamott is great. Ted, like Brett Goldstein, who is a producer, Ted Rasso, he also produced Shrinking, which was like a spinoff about like a therapist that Jason Segal was in. And I thought it was even better than oh, yeah, Ted yeah. Rasso. But if you're talking okay. about like writing from like a story standpoint and the beginning, the middle and the end and the stakes, Brett Goldstein and the writers on that show are doing a, a great job. So we start with Ted Lasso and you're like, all right, this guy's kind of a... A, not a douchebag, he's not like a frat boy, but like he's like just sort of a goofball and he's like an idiot. And then the camera sort of angles in and you see that Ted Lasso is actually not an idiot. He's this nice guy who we've all been judging because we're taught to go, that guy's jerk, that guy is a, like Ted right, Lasso that guy's is weak okay. or that guy's. Yeah, Ted Lasso's okay with you underestimating him and thinking he's stupid, which by the way is an advantageous position. I'm always happy when people misses- underestimate me. I go, that'll be fun. And he is doing that. And then you see <laughs> everyone underestimated him, and he's smarter than all of them. They do such a good job of showing you, like, your own judgment shoved in your face without judging you on top of it. I don't, I don't even know how they're doing it from, like, a camera. It really touched me. Honestly, so few things touched me. Yeah. Like, I know we were going to talk about, like, Schmigadoon too. Schmigadoon was a great show, but Ted Lasso really, like, touched me in a way like I hadn't been touched and I needed a that sounds like bad but like that I needed like no no it gave me hope yeah gave me hope like it was an optimistic show that I think we all needed after COVID 
And so fine, we're suspending disbelief. But I wanted to see it. Yeah, Breaking Bread was great. But my God, do I need to have to shut my door and turn off the sound so my my daughter doesn't hear like, you know, Breaking Bad was great. Silo right, is great. All of them. Fantastic writing. But my God, can I just laugh and be happy for a minute? Life's hard enough. Yes. And off stage comedy life is, is hard, hard enough. enough. I Some people find, and uh, yeah, li- life, uh, a lot of people use, uh, I, I've interviewed at least four or five people in the last two years who love horror to use it as a way to deal with their own trauma and to deal with their own stress. And I was like, it's not for me, but I mean, if that's, if it helps, please do it. Same. But I'm like, I, I, I've, I haven't been able to watch some of the incredibly well-written, beautifully acted. And I've said this a thousand times before. I would rather be killed by the means of one of those shows than watch those shows. They're just too tense. I can't take the tension and it's not for me. But Ted Lasso was kind of adorable. It was like, it was a thing where it was, uh, it, there was a great deal of pathos, right? Like it felt like, and I have a, a really good friend who, um, who I don't get to see enough because she lives out in Pennsylvania now, but um, she posts, she ships Ted Lasso and Rebecca, right? Yes, she wants yes, their relationship true. to be forever. Yeah. And I mean, you can kind of tell that they're going to get together but you don't know how it's going to happen. And you don't know if it's going to be, you know, if it's going to be like moonlighting, like, are they going to ruin it? Are they going to do it right? And, um, from what I've seen of her very cryptic, cause she doesn't want to spoil it either, but she spoils it. in the fact that she says that they're together, but I could see that coming. I'm an adult. And, uh, <laughs> so, uh, I've watched enough television to see when that's supposed to happen. But she said that it's it's being done pretty well. Is she you, finished with agree? the show? Is she finished with the show? Uh, Kelly? Yeah. Kel- Kelly has watched, um, I think, uh, is third season fully out right now? Yeah. Okay. Then I don't know what, uh, the last time I looked was just, uh, she was, th- they were in it. They were in it and it was beautiful. But I don't know how it goes third season. And you don't have to tell me. So, um, no, I'm not I'm going sure to adults, because right? I'm, I'm not going to because what I'm hearing is different than what happened in the show. Show, but they're very good at misdirecting you, and um, they're really they're quite okay. adept at it. And um, there's some other stuff that happens in the show too. This is one of the things that I thought was really cool. And and one of I mean, this is a spoiler, but I think this one's okay. In one of the seasons, one of the one of the um, players comes out is gay and the way he comes out as gay is the journalist finds out and then you find out why he found out all this stuff and what is great about it is the captain of the team gets mad at him but not because he's gay because he thought he couldn't trust him with that secret and then they have this scene it's also very touching of the two playing video games and he's just asking stuff about being gay that like somehow wasn't ignorant but also, like, showed, like, a curiosity. It wasn't, like, dumb stuff about sex or, like, whatever. It was like, hey, do you think this guy is cute? Do you think I'm cute? Like, it was funny. It was, like, it was perfectly done, like, version of, like, a heteronormative guy who wasn't judging his friend but, like, had, like, this curiosity. You could tell it was, like, handled. The writing was handled with care. And then at the end, he's like, the straight guy's, hey, okay. 
the straight guy was like, hey, I just want you to know that I love you no matter what. He's like, I love you too, man. Now shut up and go. The gay guy's like, now shut up and play video games and stop. I think the gay guy said stop being gay or something like that. It was like, it was a really well-handled piece of dialogue that taught you something that showed a guy like asking questions respectful way that wasn't like, who's the top and some stupid thing, you know. And I wish I could remember the exact thing. And he was like, hey, man, I just want you to know it hurt my feelings. You didn't think I could trust me with that secret. I wouldn't have judged you. And he's like, it's not just about you. Like, I was finding my own place. I thought it was a really well-done piece of dialogue, and it must have taken less than four minutes. And I was just... Right. Well, and it's, I mean, (laughs) no sweat. Uh, The, uh, uh, the, I will say that the, the way that you're, like, heterosexual romance and love and sex are all depicted on TV and movies to ad nauseum, right? I right. mean, whether they're done well all or done poorly. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, for, to be able to ask about like, what's the hallmark, you know, what's the hallmark movie, Christmas movie where it's two gay guys, where it's two women, you know, is it just two people because we're all stocks of meat? with different sausage casings who happen to fall in love with each other. And yeah, it is. And, uh, and parts are parts and people yeah. just do it. That's the and other thing. And they have a lovely time. Yeah. In the middle of it, Keely Jones dates Roy Kent, but she also ends up dating a female in between. And she's just dating the female. No one's ever like, is she bisexual? I didn't know she was, but bi- there's no commentary about it at all. It's just like, this is the thing that can happen. Right. She was just dating a woman, and it was yeah. just someone that she happened to fall for. Right. It was and, just they showed um, that as a normal relationship and not a lot of – and even those two guys, like Roy Ken and Jamie, are like, oh, Keely has a girlfriend now. They're like, oh, God, good for her. You know, like no commentary yeah. about, oh, she's bisexual. I didn't realize she was bi- – like, like the way it should right. be. Right. They like, didn't no have comedy. to define yeah. it. Yeah. 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 It was just like, well, what are you – what are you presenting as, you know? And – some people care enough to say I'm I am bisexual or I am the heterosexual or I am gay and or and I know that there's at least four more. I Seventeen don't more labels. N B and non binary. Yeah. And some and, people labels help. And live it live it up. Right. And if that's and if but it's certainly streamlined in a TV show if you don't have to uh, define it. Unless like that character it. it it's integral to that character's uh you know that's what I liked line. about it. The storyline was not about her being bisexual. Yeah. It was it was just like, oh, I guess I won't be going out with her this week. Right, right. She, she has was just a going out with Yeah, right. she was dating she's in a, a woman. relationship. Yes. <laughs> she won't be dating me. She's in another relationship. Exactly. And um I know. I saw uh so I was talking, I weed off here. Uh I have finally bought the Blu-ray of my current favorite awesome Terrible movie, Jumanji. Welcome to the I jungle. I love Jumanji. Ah, oh, The Rock, Jack Black, Kieran Gillen, um, and somebody else whose name is escaping me. Uh, I'm a monster. Whatever, but whatever it is, was, was uh, it Robin Williams in it? Jack Black. No, no, the the new one from 2017 oh, one. with uh, with The Rock. It is Jack Black is uh, they get sucked into a video game and Jack Black's character in the real world is a young woman, a, a hottie McHatterson who's got Instagram, you know, doing selfies. And then 
she is in the body of Jack Black uh, in the video game. And so Jack Black, it's just like this crazy line. My husband was telling me, Andy was telling me that uh, no way would a guy say this, but they had to do it for the storyline, right? Where uh, Jack, ba- Jack Black has a, an erection at one point, uh, but the character's name is Brittany, and she was a- attracted to this guy. And Kevin Hart, the character, oh, Kevin Hart said it. Kevin, the character that Kevin Hart plays says, hey, you have a situation there. And Jack Black looks down and Andy was like, a guy would never tell another guy that he had an erection. Yeah, never. And I was like, I, I don't, I mean, not even to tell him, you wouldn't tell him to zip up his fly if his fly was down. He was like, mm, it's not the same. Uh, I was like, well, if he had an erection and it was a public place, wouldn't you say, hey, why don't you go to the bathroom? No. Or why don't you take that somewhere else? And he's like, not a chance. There's no way as another dude telling a dude that he has an erection. Because that dude knows. He knows he has an erection. And uh, I was like, because it's a very funny scene with Jack Black. I don't want to ruin it. This movie, uh, Welcome to the Jungle, Jumanji, uh, impossible to ruin. It's craptastic. Anyway, um, Ted Lasso, possible to ruin because these are real relationships that people are having. Let me tell you that I am talking to Lindsay Glazer, and it is L-I-N-D-S-A-Y-G-L-A-Z-E-R. And she has a new album out called uh, Thanks, Dad. And it's on all the streamings, including iTunes. That Look for it there first. Feel free to buy it, by the way, to quote Laurie Kilmartin. Um, we get more money if you buy it than if you just stream it. So there you go. And then go see her do stand-up in San Francisco this week. And uh, check out lindsayglazer.com and at lindsayglazercomedy on Instagram. So in these last 15 minutes, 10 minutes, whatever it is, uh, will you tell me uh, about Schmigadoon, which I've always wanted to see, but I think it's also on Apple. Is it on Apple? It's also on Apple. All the good stuff is on Apple. We're going to figure out how to give you my password. By the way, real quick side note, I I just want you to know that – Get Apple. Bite the bullet. Yes, Jackie. Bite the bullet. <laughs> tell Fair tell, I will get tell Lori to buy it for you for a gift. That's what you want for your Ooh. birthday. See? That's See? what I want. Our birthdays are four days apart, and we don't. Uh, I got her okay. a gift, and she was infuriated. <laughs> uh, so she she can't handle it. When's your uh, birthday? What, uh, July 20th, and hers is oh. July 16th. Okay, Schmigadoon. By the way, real quick, I want you to know that you asked me how long I did in comedy, and I told you the truth. But most people tell me I should never answer that question and say because it like it like can affect your opportunities or whatever. And you should just be like, I've been doing it at the table since I was ten, which is true. Or if they ask you again, I once had a guy tell me it was probably oh, Jeff. Go, oh, are you writing a biography? And I'm like, I'm not doing that to Jackie. <laughs> you oh, know what I mean? You know what? And I'll tell you. Yeah, I do know what you mean. And I like that you were like, I was told when I moved here to lie about my age and I did it once and I lied about it to a couple who were numerologists. <laughs> I was so fucked. They were like, so what? Oh, where'd you go to high school? When did you graduate? And so I'm just throwing numbers out. And finally, the woman, there were a couple of numerologists, boy, girl, couple. And she finally says to me, no, you would have graduated in, if you were, well, what are you doing? And I said, I'm lying. I'm lying. I'm 33 <laughs> years old. And uh, so I left it at that. I and hope you say that yeah, on stage. Whatever, 
Yeah, I can't. Uh, uh, I do a joke on stage about how um, if ever people ask me how old I am, uh, in mining towns, I like to tell them to ask Andy because twice a week he takes a core sample. And that's a dick joke. <laughs> It's a very smart dick joke. Schmigadoon. That's a mining dick joke. <laughs> yes. Schmigadoon is fantastic. It is a parody of itself. It is basically parody musicals from every single era. So the first season is basically taking like Oklahoma and The Music Man and West Side Story. Brigadoon? Yeah. And, and Brigadoon, obviously, because it's called Schmigadoon. So the town is based right. on Brigadoon. But... The songs are mostly coming out of um, Carousel. Uh, um, I sent you the song called Vagina to Do Re Mi. Uh, did you get that one? <laughs> and they're explaining, she's explaining to the guy about how you have babies to the Do Re Mi. They take some actual songs, um, which is interesting from a trademark standpoint, and then they do the parody of them. Do Re Mi is yeah. public use probably at this point. And then they do some original songs to like Oklahoma and they write their own lyrics. But it is very clear that they are parodying, like, Oklahoma, Music Man, all this. Like, they do a whole thing that's basically Trouble in River City for, for Schmigadoon. Okay. And it's just about this couple that gets stuck. They're a normal couple. They're doctors in the city, and they get, they're going to search an adventure. They get in a fight. Their marriage is sad, and then they end up in Schmigadoon. And Schmigadoon, like, rekindles <laughs> their whole love and everything, and it's amazing. They do all these songs, and um, what's her face? Jane. Jane is in it. She played <sighs> Elaine. Need to see this. She's so good. She played um, Elaine and Allie McBeal. You'd love it, especially if you have any sort of like background in theater and fiction. You'll you'll get all the references. And then in the I second enjoy, season, I went and saw Hugh Hugh. I, I saw Hugh Jackman in uh, in uh, the Music Man. I just saw it. Oh, awesome! His last two I love weeks. Hugh Jackman. It was um, amazing. Where where are you? You're in LA though, right? You ever get to New York? I'm in LA. I was in New York, and for Christmas, my husband bought me tickets to see Hugh Jackman Wolverine nice. in uh, it, it in the Music Band, and but he couldn't come with me, so he bought me two tickets. So my friend Jenny Bergman got to come see like sixth row. Uh, Andy got us really good tickets for for my for Christmas. Every and, time I'm uh, in New York, sat, I come. It was see a little to the side, but it was up close, so you could see stuff. You want to watch a good show? Watch what? Murders in the Building too. So Schmigadoon in the second season. That's on Hulu, the other one that I don't have. <laughs> Get it together, Jackie. Get it together, man. Hulu I can give you my password for. I cut that out. I have I have Peacock. Peacock's I have Peacock right. and I have uh, uh I have a uh, Paramount Plus and I have um PBS. Peacock was uh, worth it. But for I also AP have Bio like alone. Amazon. Oh, you have Amazon Prime. Uh, I'm watching Poker Face. Oh, someone told me I would Have love that. Have you seen that. Poker Face? No, but my friend David Scott, I think he was Mr. Showtime. He's a comic. He said that would be great, and it reminded me of him. But in the Schmigadoon one, okay. the second thing, they come back after they fix their marriage, and they're like, let's go back to the place that we loved. And then they end up in a Chicago style, and now it's that era of musical. And it's fantastic, and they keep the same cast, but they play different characters, and the singing is so good. I was shocked. I'm like, they had to pull people from Broadway for this, and they did. They, there's yeah, people in that okay. show who are normally Broadway singers. I was like, there's no way they can just pull regular actors to do this kind of singing. So they, I mean, John Lithgow is an actor who can also really sing. But there's not that many of them. Like Steve Martin, um, he's not in it. Right. But they pulled like is actual. Is John Lithgow in it? Um, no, but he should have been. Uh, he can play anything. Okay. He, he's my favorite. But they yeah. took, if you'd said the name, I would remember it. They took Jane Krutowski was in it. 
it took like a bunch of like four like really well-known Broadway actors. The guy, I think it's the guy who played right. um, both The Lion King and he also played in Book of Mormon. The, um, I can't oh, remember. That guy. Name. Yeah. That guy. Do you he know was, He about? was Olaf in Frozen. Yes. He was, oh, yeah. He was Olaf in so. Frozen. Yeah. Yes. And I, um, I have both albums, Frozen. Me too. I love all of them. I mean, I watch all you the You have Broadway. a 10-year-old daughter. That's yes. true. <laughs> <laughs> but they're my out. I liked it before her. Excellent. So, Schmigadoon so is season okay. two is Chicago area era? Chicago arena. And so it's like the first one's like, we're happy, blah, blah, blah. We fixed our marriage. Even though they're stuck and they're fighting, they end up in a great place. And then they go back to the city, and then they're down in the dumps. They're like, let's try and find Schmigadoon again. But they find Chicago. And basically, like, the whole story is about appreciating, like, where you are in life because you're going to end up. And then Chicago becomes like Chicago, like murders and, like, jail cells. And, you know, they then pair. So they basically parody musicals from the yeah. 50s and 60s in the first season and then, the se- like, late 60s and 70s in the second. second. I think it was meant to just be a two-season show. I can't imagine they're going to do a third one. It's very hard to do. I mean, I guess they could then parody so 80s, much 90s work. musicals. It sounds like yeah. it's so much work. Yeah, I can't imagine how you're both. I'm surprised they skipped. But they, so they went from the 50s, the 40s and 50s, and then they skipped Hair and Jesus Christ Superstar and Tommy. Why I didn't, didn't they, see Jesus. They could well, have done like Tommy a psychedelic. No, they did. They did. Okay. There's a portion of the second one where there's like a hippie and they run away and there's a van and they do like a mix of that kind of. <laughs> it's kind of okay. like Tommy with like, um, it's not Jesus Christ Superstar or something else. But they also do, they um, snuck in Ballad of Todd Sweeney in there. I mean, it's some really good references okay. in there. And I, I mean, I, yeah, yeah, it's very hard to do. I can't, can't imagine how you both advance the plot line stay funny, and do all these parodies of songs where you're both writing new lyrics for old songs and also, like, writing new songs. Like, I, that would take, like, years How many well. episodes? Yeah, right. I think it How was, like... episodes uh, in each season? Six? I think it's seven, seven in each season, maybe. I don't know. I'd have to look it up. Okay. It, it was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Done. But and not people, 22, right? Not n- No. So, and some of the critics were like, oh, well, they're just parodying Do Re Mi and not, not even, like, singing or advancing the plot. I'm like, do you know how hard it is to, like, do what they're doing? So, oh, every song didn't, like, every song wasn't so great and funny and advanced the plot line. Like, what they're doing is crazy. It's a crazy amount of work. Right. You have to come You have to come from a place where I'm like, oh, uh, yeah, just take my money. I wanted to see this my entire life. It's like, it's like most of Star Wars and Marvel. For me, right. I'm like, and, and a lot of, I wish I could say it was true with Star Trek too, but Star Trek uh, could be a little slow for me, though I do wish I was watching all of it. What and was your Doctor favorite Who, book? Because I, I know that it's Doctor super smart. Um, Doctor Who, which I, yeah, which I wish I'd, I could get into, but it, it tends to be uh, sometimes a little scary. You're like me. Uh, I, I also thought it was scary. I'm a toddler inside uh or a dog with fireworks i don't know what the hell is going on but uh the what's my favorite book yeah you said fiction raised you so i want to know what your favorite book is oh i read uh well you know i was a small girl child so i read a lot of dog and horse books yeah i also read uh back in like second and third grade i read uh something called dan frontier and it was stories of daniel boone and uh, they were just picture books, but uh, they still stuck with me. Uh, my hero album was actually based on one of the Dan Frontier books. That's cool. Uh, the art. 
and um, and the label turned it into a golden book, which I was like, they weren't golden books, but everybody loves that he turned it into a golden book. So I was wrong, it turns out. Dan Schlissel. Who is the label? Correct. Oh, Dan Schlissel. Uh, I love Dan Schlissel. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's great. Uh, stand-up records. And um, the, uh, uh, yeah, but then, like, in junior high, I read this series. The, it was a boy's adventure books uh, called uh, Joseph A. Altshuler wrote. They were eight books about the Civil War. They were about cousins. One fought in the North and one fought in the South. And uh, it was essentially revisionist history, the nobility of the South. They were all written around 1908, so there were still Civil War um, veterans that were alive. They were starting to essentially, like the Klan was gaining so much power, and they were building all those statues of famous Civil War um, uh, Confederate generals. And I think that the, that Civil War series didn't, I mean, I think it was also supposed to heal some of the wounds from the Civil War, which were still around because it had only been 50 years since 19, they were written in like 1908, 1910, 19, and then, then the guy wrote four books about World War One during World War One, which was weird, and then he died. But then he also wrote like a, a book about uh, the French and Indian War, which um, was essentially 1767 uh, or 17... Uh, 57, I forget, uh, where the French and the British fought and the and two different main Native American tribes uh, supported different. You read a lot of history books anyway, like James Mishner and stuff? I read a lot of, uh, I did read a lot of John Jakes. I used yeah. to, I, I like some historical fiction still, mostly romance novels at this point, so historical. <laughs> uh, and uh, And I also read some time travel stuff. But I do, yeah. What do you What do you like to read? I I mean, I love fiction. Um, I read like oh, yeah? nonfiction all the time. But I grew up like reading tons of fiction. I read like Anna Green Gables, Sherlock Holmes, every single like mystery. You know, um, what's that book like? The Great Fifty Mysteries by White. Um, um, what's the other guy? Winkle. Oh, wow. I read a lot of that. Nancy Drew. You know, every book in Nancy oh, yeah. Drew and Sweet Valley High, Anna Green Gables, every single horse book. Uh, I my grandfather was big into history. So I read a ton of James Mishner, David McCullough stuff, um, which is not fiction. Um, for David I read McCullough. all the Louis L'Amour novels. See, Did you ever yeah. read the Louis yes. L'Amour novels? Yes. Your grandfather. Yes. If he's, all if he's handing those across, the yes. sackets. Yes. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> I mean, Anna Karenina was my favorite book, though. Like, I mean, I read okay. that a lot. Wow. I know. It's like very That's, tragic. Yeah. <laughs> I love Lady Chatterley's Super Lover. Tragic. I read a lot of books. Like, I read that book called The oh, Secret wow. History by Donna. I read like five books a week. Like, if I had my way, I would sit in a green room, listen to my headphones, read my book, and write in my notebook and have no one. But I'm not Maria Bamford, and I'll get in trouble for that. So I check in, I say hi, and I go back to my car, and I listen to my headphones in my car and write so oh, no one can say that's anything. that's what she does. Oh, see, that's, that's totally what she does. That's so now. Yeah, I, I the often thing don't is, ha- you got to check in. Yeah. There's, I often don't have no my car. There's checking in. Yeah. Yes. Well, but I mean, that Maria job, Maria used to in. do a joke about... And go to the green room and sit. I'll check in, go back to my car or somewhere else where people can't see me. She's too self-conscious to do that. So Maria did a joke uh, about what now? But the, Maria did a joke about how in Los, she likes Los Angeles better than New York because you have your car in Los Angeles and it's a place to cry. In New York, <laughs> you would need a special hat that you would have to roll down 
to hide. And you would want it to be real tough on the outside like canvas, but then soft on the inside like fur or fleece. So funny. Anyway, I don't know when she, I don't know if that ever made an album, but it was a fucking hilarious bit. Uh, Lindsay Glazer, it's been an hour. It's been a little over an hour, but uh, we did it. We did did uh, it. We talked about it. Uh, I am now interested in getting both Apple and Hulu, but I have been for some time. Uh, I can't wait to hear what you think. It's at Lindsay Glazer Comedy, Instagram. It's lindsayglazer.com. This week, she's in San Francisco. lindsayglazer.com has all of the the road work, so go check it out and get the new album. It's called Thanks, Dad. Thank you so much for doing the show. Thank you so much for having me. And Rangers, you know the rules out there. Take care of each other. Hi, Adal. How was the show? Well, it was with Lindsay Glazer, and it was fascinating because it was about Hulu and Amazon uh, or Apple TV shows, Apple TV shows, Ted Lasso. And Schmigadoon, and you're wearing my staycation individual shirt. Do you want to get that door for that dog? One of the dogs has decided that uh, he would really like to be part of the bonus, which is Andy talking to me and me telling Andy about the show. If we don't wait for the dogs, we will have to get up in the middle of something. Every time. Absolutely every every time. As a new dog owner, I would like to say this is an unforeseen thing. I did not know that this would be a thing. It's a thing. You've had dogs your whole life. I have. Ted Lasso. We saw the first oh, yes. season. Oh, yes. We saw we saw almost all of the first season. We saw all... You think that there was a, an episode missing at the end? Yes. But there wasn't. Well, I never saw it. You saw the last episode I never of the saw first... An ep- I never saw an episode where they played the game. That's not what the show's about. Well, I'm still saying I never saw an episode <laughs> where they played the game. So... If you love this show, uh, Andy, not liking the show. I did like the show. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I liked it all right, but I just never saw the end of it. Well, I was telling. she was telling me one of the, her favorite things about the show was that it was realistic male relationships where they it wasn't or it was a different kind of, you know how like in a lot of uh, football or, or baseball sport movies, yep. there's one poignant scene. And then they go, well, we did that. We had emotions. Now let's go beat these guys. Sure, sure. So that was what you were kind of, I think, expecting. No. I, them I to, to play the game at some point. Right. I, I, didn't, I didn't know if they would actually, we'd actually see the game on, on screen or whether they would have just talked about having played the game. Right. But they never did in the first season that I saw. Okay. Which means and that I think that I have not, I think that I have missed the final episode. Well, we should get Apple. And uh, and we so it she, on a disc. They sent it to you on a disc. Right. It was a screener. That's a what screener. I. That's what I saw. And uh, it didn't include the final episode. <laughs> you make me want to <laughs> wet my pants. I'm so mad. I don't know why. <laughs> well, I don't know why. That's that's how it revealed itself. And then we talked about Schmigadoon. <laughs> talked about Schmigadoon. Uh, also on Apple, which we also didn't see the last episode of. We've I've never seen any of it. You no, you insist we, that we saw it. I've we never saw seen the first it. episode of it. I've never seen but it. But we didn't see any more of it after that. Right. We thought, um, I think we thought it was kind of cute. I like the fact that you think we saw it. <laughs> I don't think I would have seen it by myself. <laughs> Is what you're really saying. Yes. Um well, she said the first season was all the musicals of the 40s and 50s and the, you know, essentially mm-hmm. Oklahoma and Music Man right. and Carousel. The second season is Chicago. Oh, interesting. And they use a lot of different actors from Broadway. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So 
We it's like a great musical. I don't know why we didn't continue on with it. Well, I, I don't think we ever started, but that's me. I think uh, that uh, that it's a great episode, though. I'm, I just wanted to tell you about it. Oh, okay. I like it. Bye. My hat, my hat, my hat. They're dancing around my hat. <laughs> my hat, my hat, my hat. Well, what do you think of that? If it looks like a Mexican hat dance and it sounds like a Mexican hat dance, it's most likely a Mexican hat dance. So take off your hat and let's dance. Yay! Oh, my God. We, why don't we just call that as the end of the show?